Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled, Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored, The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Okay, I do what? <laughs> Somebody said, why didn't you say I did what? Because this is also for those thinking about getting married. So I just put it in, I do what? And that would cover both groups right quickly. Because many times, as we've said, when you go down and you take your vows, very few people have a full comprehension of what they've said what they've committed to, especially the guys and uh, their wives spend the rest of their life reminding them. This is uh, tonight, the second key. Oh, and I didn't bring my ring. But anyway, on the key, there's a second key. Now, this key is the key of dying, the key of dying. Once a person has received the Lord Jesus into his heart by believing on him, those two words are used exactly in the same context in John. They are born again of brand new seed. It's incredible how many people don't understand this. Bad seed uh, produces bad seed. In other words, seed determines kind. You, you can never, that's why religion never works. You're not going to get any better. You have to be born again of new seed, the seed that was promised to Abraham, the seed that Galatians 3.16 says is our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're not born again, which only happens as you receive him, as we looked at last week, the key of believing last week, then what happens is you're entering into covenant with God through the Lord Jesus himself. You're entering into a covenant. You carry a book of covenants everywhere you go. Old covenant, new covenant. You've got the covenant to Noah, the covenant to David. You've got the main covenant, which is the covenant to Abraham that he unilaterally cut and promised that a seed was coming. It was not Isaac, but it was the Lord Jesus. And he has come now. Brought in the new covenant, which, by the way, is simply the Abrahamic covenant extended over into the new. It's the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. Now, when you enter into covenant, a believer, when he enters into covenant with God, enters in the way of death. And he loses his right. Now, this is so important. So what's that got to do with marriage? What does it have to do with marriage? You lose your right to independent living. You now live dependently upon the Lord Jesus that has come to live within you. A person who's a believer dies to his old way of life, enters in to a brand newness of life. And the mark is the Holy Spirit. And by the way, Romans says that the Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. So there's not, that's not a, conf a conflict here. Christ is in us. But yeah, I thought he was in heaven at the right hand of God. He is. But his Spirit comes to live within us. The Spirit of Christ, the moment we enter into covenant with God. Why does he come to live within us? Why, what is he doing? You know, and a lot of people still can't get it. We can't do what God requires. So therefore, God loving us did not leave us as orphans. He came to live in us to do through us what we could never do. And so why would you start here?
before you'd get into Ephesians 5 and all the responsibilities of a husband and wife. Because this is where it's all based right here. You can't be the husband you want to be. Neither can your wife be the wife she wants to be. Christ in us does through us what's required out of us. Well, this impacts a marriage in a critical way. Everything in marriage hinges on whether or not a person knows Christ. And secondly, if he's walking in fellowship with him, saying yes to him, yielded to him. Everything hinges on that. Because if that's not happening, you've got a problem in your marriage. And uh, we'll talk about that tonight. That's why our first key to the course, like I said, is believing. But this one is dying. You enter in dying to an old way of life. But you maintain that as you continue to trust Christ, to do in you and through you what you cannot do. Now, the Christian life is, is kind of complex in a way because we talk about our dependence upon him, but it's a 200% relationship. You've got to think of it that way. There's got to be a balance in your thinking. The accountability is in there. 100% my willingness to say yes to him, 100% his power and presence once I've said yes. So it's, it's kind of like they go together like that. If you leave this part out, this is not just going to happen. You're going to experience Christ, but not in the way we're talking about. You'll experience his chastening. You'll experience his discipline. You'll know quickly when you're doing it wrong. But when it's done right, it's the two have to merge together. It's me willing to say yes. That's about as far as I can go. And then be yielded to him and to his word. And then he takes over at that point. Now, it's kind of like being in a yoke. We used to have a yoke. John Coleman made me a yoke. It is here in this church. But I can't find it. They've, they've put it somewhere on one of the things that they've done at the stage. You used to keep it inside the pulpit, and I'd pull it out. Any of you remember me doing that? Well, a yoke gives you the picture exactly what we're talking about. If you've been to Asia or any of the countries there, and, and I've been to Indonesia, I've been to Asia, and you see these oxen everywhere, and they're pulling carts. And it's so neat that there are always two oxen. And the two oxen, the youngest one is on one side, but the old, mature, been around a while, been there and done that ox is the one that's on the other side. Now, they tell me that that young ox, they put them like that because that young ox has to learn to surrender to the direction and the strength of the other. And only when he does can the ox cart be pulled without any strain. And it's a beautiful picture. In fact, they say the scars on the side of the oxen let you know which one of them is trying to pull the rebellious one. If I was an ox, I'd have scars all over me trying to go my way. Because that's just my bent. I know some of y'all are the goody two-shoes, but I wasn't that way. I didn't come out of that bent. <laughs> Tell me not to do something. I'm going to find out what you told me not to do and try to do it in such a way you'll never know I did it. I mean, that's just the curiosity for the forbidden. That's, that's, <laughs> that's been my downfall. So we have this picture. And, what, and we say, what's that got to do with anything? Well, the Lord Jesus used it as an illustration. He said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, take my yoke upon you. And learn of me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. And then he says in verse 30, for my yoke is what? It's easy. It's easy. Come on. You have people say, it is not easy. I promise you it's not easy. The things he's telling me to do. No, the problem is not him. The problem is you. When you learn to cooperate with him, when you learn to yield to him, it's, he said it in another place, my commandments are not burdensome. My yoke is easy, but we have to learn like that younger ox has to learn to give in to him, to yield to him, to, to let him lead the way. Well, most marriage courses are a list of what you're supposed to do. 
have any of you been to them and come back home frustrated besides me? Anybody has did? Am I the only one? <laughs> I can't ever remember what was number three and which one was number four. Which one, you know, comes first, which one comes second. Well, say, I'm supposed to do this, 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 and this. Well, here's the problem. If you don't understand the truth of being yoked to Christ, if you don't understand the truth of being a brand new seed and letting him, he lives within you to, re, to enable you to be, be what you're supposed to be, you, you're dead in the water. You go to a conference, you're going to come home worse off than before you went because you're going to be trying to do in your own strength what you can't do. This has got to be settled before the marriage can be what God has designed it to be. Well, we must remember that just like Christianity, marriage is the picture. It's a covenant relationship. You entered into covenant together when you entered into the marriage. And you both lost your right to independent living. <laughs> Y'all just looking at me smiling. I'm thinking, I never smiled at that. I go to the cross kicking and screaming. Does anybody else in here have that problem? I go kicking and screaming. But now when I get there, I find out it's exactly where I needed to be. But it's I'm a little hard-headed getting there sometimes. I mean, because after all, certain things in my life I have a right to. Is that not correct? Well, not when you're in covenant. You lose all your rights to independent living. So it doesn't begin with what I do at home so much and what all my responsibilities are. It begins with how I learn to die daily to myself by saying yes to him. Remember the triangle of last week? Let me see if I can do it again. And uh, I hope, hopefully it was in your, uh, I think it was, in your lesson. And here's God. And here's you. And here's your spouse. When I co-taught with Kay Arthur in precept ministries for 14 years, they would laugh when I would go to the board with anything in my hand. I could not spell my name. I'd walk up to a board and my mind would just go completely blank. <laughs> that was the nuttiest thing. All right. Most people, when they go to any kind of conference, or usually if it's a secular conference, they'll tell you how to live for one another. That's ridiculous. You don't live for each other. You live this way. You're in covenant with God first, first before you're in covenant with each other. That's the primary thing. Now, as you allow him to do through you, what happens is he draws you closer and closer and closer and closer. That's the way the unity in marriage comes about. So we've got to learn these basic truths. To have the marriage God wants for you begins by learning to say yes to him. And by the way, when you say yes to him, you've just said no to your flesh. You don't have to worry about focusing on the sin. Just say yes to him. Victory is not you overcoming sin in your life. Victory is Jesus overcoming you. You've got to get your focus on who it is that has come to live within you. That's the key. Now, does he have the design for marriage? I think so. It's so much, it's so much fun to talk to certain people that are uh, self-made. You ever been around somebody like that? We can do it. We can do it. We can do it. We can. Suck it up, boy. Look what I did in my business. I can do this in my Christian life. Think so? <laughs> And they still haven't got it. You know, only the God, you know, they think that we have to be creative enough to come up with the idea and somewhere along the way God will jump in. You kidding me? I think he's pretty creative. I think if I'm not mistaken, he stepped out on nothing and created the world by speaking it into existence. I think he can handle the first step. So he's the one who has the design. He's the one who can put it together. Now, don't look at your husband or your wife and say, uh-huh, as soon as you get right, we'll have the right kind of marriage. No, it starts with us. It starts with us. But the battle is on. Once you become a believer, that's when the battle starts. 
You didn't have a battle before you became a believer. You just did it your way, and whatever it fell, it fell. And whatever happened, it happened. This is what Paul said in Galatians 5, 16, and 17. But I say, he says, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not carry out the desire of the flesh. You see, he didn't say, don't worry about the desire of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. What does it mean, walk by the Spirit? According to, underneath his control. That's the same thing, by the way, as Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit. Have you ever noticed that the Bible says the same thing about seven different ways, but it doesn't say seven different things? Jesus said, abide in the vine. That's not what Paul said. He said, be filled with the Spirit. That's not what John said. He said, walk in the light as he is in the light. It's all the same thing. Living up under the control of the Spirit of God. The word filled in Ephesians 5, by the way, which right after that comes the marriage part. You have to be filled first. Isn't it funny? Huh? It's not funny at all. It's, it's good. not funny. Ha ha. It's, isn't it? Well, whatever. But you, uh, you, it, filled means to be controlled by. You fill a glass up, you can't add anything else to it. It's controlled by what fills that glass. He said in verse 17, for the flesh. Now, how many of you in your marriage have discovered this? If you want to find out what the Christian life is like, get married. It won't take you long, probably about 24 hours to figure this out. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. There's a war going on here. For these are not are in opposition rather to one another so that you may not do. And it's in the present tense. Continue to do the things that you please. In other words, you started off good, but you hit a barrier and the flesh wants its way. And that's what's part of the problem. Matter of fact, I think it is the problem in marriage. I think if more people could understand this, it would take the counseling and just throw it right out of the window. Because the wonderful counselor lives within us. The one who designed marriage lives within us. The problem is we keep, like that ox, we keep pulling our own way. We have scars all over us. We have scars all over our marriage. Why? We're going to do it our way. We're going to do it our way. Remember the song? I did it my way. And it really worked. Didn't it? In Romans chapter 11, if you got your Bibles, verse 31 through 36. Now this is where we're getting into what we're going to look at tonight. Verse 31, now chapter 11 is talking about, I'm going to graft Israel back in. And don't you think I've ever forgotten Israel? They were only, the nation was stripped away because of their unbelief. But there were many who came in. Many Jews came in. I mean, they're allowed in the moment they receive Christ. But the nation as a whole is blinded because they still don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. They still go back to the law being the way of righteousness. So he comes, he finishes that chapter letting them know, listen, don't you tell me what I'm going to do. You Gentiles, don't get arrogant. Because you're in. You're only in by grace. And you're, you're grafted in. But I'm going to bring them back. I believe that's in Zechariah at the last of the, of the tribulation period, that seven-year period. I believe at the last of it, that they're going to look at him and say, oh, you're the one we crucified. You're the one. And that's when all of Israel that is left will be saved. That day. He will do exactly what he says he's going to do. But verse 31 says, so these also now have been disobedient, they beca that because of the mercy shown to you, they may also be shown mercy. He's talking about Israel. For God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. And that's the way he says, oh, the depth. <laughs> I was out in the Caribbean one time, and, and uh, I was really suffering for the Lord. I was on a mission trip. <laughs> and we went swimming down in one of those islands off of somewhere down in, uh, uh, I forgot, Aruba, that area down in there. And one afternoon we had free, and he said, why don't you go swimming? I said, whoa, you have to twist my arm. So we got out there, had flippers on, had the mask on, had the little doodads on. Me and a guy by the name of Jim Bird, that used to work for Precept years ago. Betsy was the one that wrote all their materials. And 
So we get out, and, and I looked out, and I said, how come that water's dark out there? Is that coral? Is that some kind of a plant? He said, why don't you swim out there and see? It's about 100 yards or so, so we just started swimming, had those slippers on, and we're moving. All of a sudden, we swam out over a, a pit. That thing, they said, was over six or 700 feet deep. It was the ship channel. <laughs> and when we swam out over, it was like, oh! And, the, and Jim, the guy with me, he, he said it, but he had his mouth underwater, and he, <laughs> he got all choked up. Next thing I know, I see his flippers headed back to the shore. And I wanted to say, I can understand what he's saying. Oh, the depth. I couldn't even imagine it. You see down so far, and the light could only penetrate down hundreds of feet. But at a certain point, it just sort of faded out. And you could tell it just kept on going. I saw fish longer than me, and I'm, that was concerning. And, but oh, the depth, the depth, the depth. One of the things I've learned is that every book I've ever done, the next time I do it, I'm thinking, where in the world was I the last time? I didn't see that. And then you do it again. Where in the world was I the last time? And it's like a well that has no bottom. Oh, the depth. Listen. Of the, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Look at this. How unsearchable are his judgments. The judgment that he, that he makes against sinners. The, the, the way he chooses to justify believers. I mean, and unfathomable. You, you can't even explain it. His ways... For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again for from him and through him and to him or a few things that what it says are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. And then you go right into verse one of chapter 12. Therefore, you know, anytime you see a therefore, always look, see what it's there for. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, let me, let me talk to you about it, man. Most people think it comes right out of those verse 33 through 36, and they say, therefore, no, that amen means that all of these things continue to be so. Don't you dare think about changing them. Now, what is he talking about? He's not just talking about 9 through 11, which everybody loves to jump into when they get into Romans. Oh, no. Back in chapter 3, verse 20, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Y'all understand that? It means I can do nothing to justify myself. Salvation cannot be earned by any good work that I can do. Not one. He says, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. You see, where the law reveals sin, grace forgives it and enables us under righteousness. It's a totally different day. He says in Romans 5, 1, therefore, having been justified by your works, no, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Now, throw in chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, think about what you're doing. Think about how you're living. Think about it and present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice unto him, which is your reasonable service of worship. We're under grace. We're not under law anymore. It's a brand new covenant. Got a brand new high priest. Remember Hebrews? He's not like any other. He didn't come from any order of man. I still think Melchizedek was the Lord Jesus. He had created his own order, but I won't argue with anybody about that. I think the most common word we're going to hear when we get to heaven is, oh. <laughs> but now he lives within us to do what? Anything he requires of me, 
He lives within me to enable. How am I going to be a better husband? You better get in touch with him. Don't go to a book and tell you 15 different things you need to do. You better get in touch with him because he lives within you to enable you to be everything he expects of you. And that's the key. He holds the key to the design. He is the designer. He's the one who puts the marriage together. I heard, heard a story one time, and, and I can have a weird mind. You'll, t you'll, you'll know by the story I'm going to tell you about what it's like when a believer gets saved and then tries to live back up under the law. You ever seen anybody like that? I mean, they're trying to do it themselves. We can do it. We can do it. We can do it. We can. I started center against Artis Gilmore in college. He's seven feet, three inches tall, made the NBA Hall of Fame. I walked out on the floor. The cheerleaders back then would wear long skirts and bobby socks. It was a little different that day. And they didn't look like they could whip you. And I walked out. And there was this huge human being. His chin was above my head. And their cheer was, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it, you can, you can do it. And I'm walking out there thinking, no, okay, no, okay, I promise you. <laughs> you know you can't save yourself. So what in the world do we think that we can do anything else? That we can sanctify ourselves in the sense of what he looks to, for that? No, that's his process. He begins within us. That's what he lives within us to enable us to do. I can't be the husband God wants me to be. You can't be the husband or wife. It's Christ in us. But the picture that came to my mind was a fellow had a grandfather clock. You know those great big ones? And, and you could hear them at night tick, ticking in the hallway. And my, my grandmother had one. And you got that old grandfather clock. And, and he loved that thing. He shined it every day. He was an heirloom. And he loved it. He brought back memories of family. And one day it just stopped. And he thought, oh, no. What am I going to do? And his wife said, well, the, the clock smith down is just right two blocks down. Come on, go in that clock maker. He, he can fix all of that. He said, but how am I going to get it there? It's too big. He had a little bitty car. Couldn't get the clock inside the car. She said, I'll tell you what, it's not really that heavy if you can balance it and put it on your back. And so she, he backed up against it. She tied the clock around him, and she helped him bend over. And sure enough, if he would stand a, bend a certain way, the clock's weight was evenly distributed. He said, I think I can make this. It's not that bad. Just two blocks. So he started walking down the street with that big old clock on his back. That's just a picture to me of people still living up under the law. I'm going to have the best marriage in this world. You are? Well, good for you. I guarantee you that people you think are having the best marriage be a fly on a wall for about a week, and you'll find out it's not everything is cracked up to be. Because we can't do it in our own power. And he's walking down the street and he sees a wino coming towards him. And the wino's, he's looped, man. He, and he's just staggering. He said, oh, no. That guy's going to walk right into me, sure as you're born. And so he tried to get out of his way and they collided. Boom. And he fell backwards and broke the clock in a thousand pieces. He says to the wino, he says, good grief, man. Do you realize what you've done? He said, man, why don't you wear your watch on your wrist like everybody else? <laughs> But that mental picture, <laughs> that mental picture clock is like a lot of people trying to have the right kind of marriage. It really, really reminds me of that. Well, I know what, I'll do this. Well, I know what, I'll do that. Yeah, for a while, it's going to burn out. And you don't have the power with, without him living in you. That's why we had to do that first key. He lives within us. That's what grace is all about. The in, grace is the transforming, enabling power of God in you to do through you what you should have learned by now, you can't do yourself. How many counselors do we have to go to before we finally get to the right one? He is the wonderful counselor. And he'll tell you what to do and how to do it. All right. First of all, the three things in these, these two verses. First of all, you see a presentation. You say, well, what is it? And listen, the Holy Spirit authored this, so evidently there's a flow here. So you've got to start somewhere. What's the first thing he tells you here? He says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present 
your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, that's New American Standard. Some translations don't have that in there, but I'm going to explain to you why they put that in there, because it's very right. To present your bodies is aorist infinitive active. Now, I'm not going to give you a Greek class. Uh, I think Gil Marino teaches Greek. So if you want that class, you can take that on Wednesday night. That's not what I'm here for. But I want to help you understand something. The tenses help us, really help us. The tense is aorist. Aorist means Nike. You know the Nike commercial? Do it. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's an infinitive which carries the weight. When you see an infinitive or an imperative, which is a command, the infinitive carries the same weight of a command. Do it. And then you have the active voice. It means you make your choice to do it. Don't be made to do it. Don't let some conference speaker or preacher guilt you into it. Choose to do it. Choose to do it. You have the Christ living within you. So now he'll give you the ability to make that choice. But here's the key. The aorist tense, when it's in a command form, has a punctiliar sense. You know what I'm talking about there? Like, do it, do it, do it, do it. How many photographers? I know one. Becky's back there as a photographer. Anybody else a photographer? You know, that, you know those little doodads they put on the bottom of the cameras? That when you push the button down, it just keeps taking pictures. You say that's the present tense because that's continuous action. No, it is not. It's aorist because each picture is a completed action. That's what the aorist tense is, completed action. And in a command form, it has that sense to it. So what is he saying? Present yourself one time. It's going to last you the rest of your marriage. Shoot, no. Present yourself every moment. Present yourself every, every circumstance, every situation. Present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service of worship. That word present comes up at a different place. Look back in Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Let me explain this truth to you. It says, knowing this, in Romans 6, 6, I'll give you a minute. I'm always too fast. Dinah says, you have the reference and you already read it before we even get there. Romans 6, 6. <laughs> Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin. Now, when you look in the mirror in the morning, say, good morning, body of sin, and then try to have the marriage God wants you to have. <laughs> At least you got started on the right foot of what you can't do. Might be done away with, and I don't know why in the world. One translation says destroyed. That's not the word. The word is katergeo. Kata means uh, down and argeo means to idle to idle down to shift into neutral what happened when jesus came in your life he broke the power of sin but he shifted it into neutral and that's that's what people just don't understand i uh, you've probably heard me tell a story about 80 times if you've been with me for eight years but when we grew up we had the ugliest of two kind of cars you could have you know there's an edsel that was ugly but we had a studebaker remember those old studebakers looked like a bullet you didn't know what the front was from the back because it weird looking dude. And we had a yellow one because we didn't have the pick of a color. My dad didn't make much. He worked for the for Times World News of Roanoke, Virginia, and he was just a manual laborer. So he just had to get whatever we could get. Yellow? I mean, if you're going to get an ugly car, don't get a yellow one. And he'd park it up in the grass because we didn't have a driveway or a garage. And I think in the green grass, we had green grass. We have water there in Virginia. And, and the grass would be green and with that yellow car sitting on green grass, good grief, you can see it from 40,000 feet up. They'd park it two blocks away. We'll walk to it. And one day, I was 12 years old. I was probably about 6'3". Then. <laughs> no, I wasn't quite. And I got in that car. I said, shoot, man, I can drive this thing. And by a straight shift, you know. Wimps drive automatics. 
but you, you had to be a, a real person to drive a straight ship. That's all we had. You was a bicycle or learn how. And I'd get in that thing. Have you ever started one when it wasn't in gear and you didn't have the clutch in? Or it was in gear and you didn't have the clutch in? And it would do what? Lurk a knot in your neck, buddy. When you and then I had to learn to push that clutch in and, and how, to, how to deal with that. And finally, after grinding about 45 pounds of gears, you know, I finally learned how to do it just right, coordinate the, the gas pedal with the clutch, and you ease forward about 20 feet. We had a big hill in the back of our house and a woods, and I'm thinking, if I pull this thing over top that wall in the back, I would have been seven feet if I'd have behaved myself. So I, I, I knew that I, I didn't need to do that. So I'd go 20 foot forward and then back into a reverse, back it up 20 feet, 20 foot forward, 20 foot back. My daddy wouldn't let me get my driver's license until I was 17. I don't understand that. I mean, why? When I got it, I think I'd driven 20,000 miles, 20 foot forward, 20 foot back, 20 foot forward. But I learned something. When you push that clutch in and hold it in or put it in neutral, you could push down on the gas pedal and it would roar with the power of all that engine had. But it had no effect on the car whatsoever. Why? Because the power had been disengaged. That's what the word means. Oh, I can never sin again. Are you kidding me? He didn't eradicate sin. He shifted it into neutral. And what happens is when Wayne, big Wayne, the big guy, look at the middle letter of the word sin and you got the problem right there. When I decide to do it my way, when I grab my rights, which I don't have, and drag them back, what I've just done is shifted the car back into gear. And all of a sudden now the flesh has ruled in my life. And that's what he's saying here. He says, so that we should no longer be slaves to sin. But look in verse 12, Romans 6. Therefore, do not let sin, and that's a definite article, and I don't want to get into that, but definite article simply points to not the act, the attitude of sin, which is lawless living. I'm going to do it my way. I don't care what that preacher says. I don't care what the Word of God says. I'm going to do it my way. You hear me? That's the sin that we were born into in the seed of Adam, which we were born now into a new seed which has a whole different nature to it. Jesus lived to do the will of his Father. It says, don't, therefore, do not let the sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its lust. Don't shift it back into gear. Look out. Look out. Romans 6, 13. I don't understand the ladies at all. Any man who says he understands a woman would lie about anything. But I, knew, I do know men. I do know men. So all guys, heads up. I've been there and done whatever it is you're thinking about. So... Romans 6, 13, and do not go on, and here's the same word we see in chapter 12, verse 1. He's just explaining what he says here in chapter 12. Do not go on presenting the members of your body. See, everything you do is with your body. I don't know why it is. My body just follows me everywhere I go. My mind is in my, I think with my body. I do everything I do with my body. So present your bodies. Everything that you do, think, everything. The members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourself to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Listen, for sin shall not be master over you. And I think, what? I've been mastered many times, especially on academy going home. For you are not under law, but you are under what? Grace. Now, there's, there's a difference of being in grace. That's positional. Don't let me lose you here. When you enter into covenant, you enter into a state of grace that you can never be removed from. But there's a difference in being in grace and living under grace. Law... I'm going to do it my way. Grace, I can't, God, you never said I could. You can, you always said you would. Now, am I going to live under grace? Or am I going to do it my way and live under law? 
And he says, because he has justified you by faith. Remember now, as you were justified, as you were saved, so therefore continue to live that way. By faith, trusting him. Your disciples came to Jesus one day and said, what must we do to do the works of God? How can we reach the city of Albuquerque? How can we have the perfect marriage? We want to do the works of God. He said, believe on him whom he has sent. In other words, believe in me, and it's in the present tense, and keep on believing, for this is the work of God. You're under a different covenant. You're in a different seed. You don't do things anymore just because Emmanuel says to do it this way. You do it the way God says to do it, and you trust him to do what only he can do in your marriage. Well, Paul says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. You'll notice that word living. It means living. It's kind of like uh, Gregory said in our, our Christmas uh, play, Magi means magi. <laughs> I love that. Living means living as in contrast to a one-time death. What happened in the sacrifices of the Old Testament? It was a one-time thing, but you didn't do it again because that animal was dead when you took it up there. But you'd be a living sacrifice, which in other words, this is a constant dying. It's not just a one-time deal here. You learn to live this way, presenting your body as a living sacrifice. The attitude that since Jesus gave his life for you, Romans 1 through 11, by the mercies of God, give yourself back to him. It ought to be an attitude of gratitude that we present ourselves to him. Lord, we can't have a marriage you want us to have. Lord, I can't be the husband you want me to have. I can't be the father you want me to have to be. I can't be the grandfather you want me to be. God, you're, I'm just presenting myself to you because if you expect me to be this, you're going to have to enable it because I can't do it. And that's the beautiful message of what grace is all about. But everything we do, remember, is represented by our bodies. He wants all of me surrendered to all of him. God, here's my body. Take it and use it as you will. Now, you think this will definitely affect your relationships at home? When the, when the wife suddenly decides she's not going to hold a grudge against the husband? For any, by the way, I had a bitter person come in my office one day, very bitter. And this particular person started naming everything this individual she was bitter towards had done to her. And I said, help me. How does that relate to 1 Corinthians 13? It says, love does not take an account of things suffered. It means it doesn't keep a list of it so you can bring it up later on and nail somebody with it. Oops. You see, what happens is when you start living and letting Jesus be Jesus, all of a sudden he gives you a divine forgetfulness and an ability to forgive when you didn't ever have it before. It just, this doesn't make any sense in the secular world. This is what God does in you. Anything he expects from you, forgive, he tells us in a command form, just as I have forgiven you. Yeah, right, try that. But see, you can't do it. But they, well, he wouldn't demand it if he didn't live within you. To enable you to do that i wonder how many marriages might be in here tonight i'm not gonna rescue raise your hand and you'll never be embarrassed by me hopefully unless i do it well i, I usually embarrass myself but I, I might stumble and embarrass somebody i don't mean to but i wonder how many marriages in here tonight could be absolutely solved overnight by one or the other spouses saying god i lay this at your feet i cannot do this and i'm not going to tolerate it any longer that's my flesh having its way in my life I lay it down. Now, Lord, you do through me. Because he died for us. You think we deserved his love? I don't know about you, but I, I wonder every day why he would even bother with me. And that's exactly the love that he manifests in our life. We'll see that, by the way, in another lesson. So, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. It means it's set apart. It's unique. 
to him acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, this is one of my pet peeves, so I'm striking a nerve, so y'all pray that I don't uh, take off and chase a rabbit here. I hear people all the time saying, we're going to go to church and worship God. Really? Really? And so I ask people, what's your definition of worship? Oh, I got chill bumps in that person saying, I love that style of music. And buddy, when they start playing that kind of music, oh man, my, I just get into it and I can worship and I feel free. I've worshiped. <laughs> That's in the book of Hesitations, chapter 14 and verse 3. There are three major words used in the New Testament for worship. One of them is right here. The other one's in Revelation. Proskuneo, fall flat down on your face before him in such utter awe you don't even know what to say. Another one Siebel made to live a lifestyle Monday through Saturday so everybody at the, at the drugstore and wherever else you go knows that you're under the lordship of Jesus Christ. You order peas and they give you beans and they're cold and Jesus reaches out and touches that person. That's what worship is. It is not a feeling. It is not a sensation. It is a lifestyle which is your reasonable service of worship, la trevo. La trevo means to serve and it's a word for worship. And that's why the New American Standard picked up on it and said your spiritual service of worship because that's what the word means. So if we're going to worship him, we start individually, daily. When you come into the church, yes, you can worship. But like Terry, bless his heart. <laughs> I heard Stuart Briscoe say one time, he said, if everybody is a little bit miserable about the music, it's probably balanced. Because you've got an opinion for every person sitting in every chair that's in there. And people will leave churches because of that. No, they wouldn't wait. <laughs> yeah, you had not been around here a long time, have you? Your spiritual service of worship. Worship is extended into the auditorium. Can a song be added? Oh, yes. Clap your hands. Shout. But that's not the worship itself. That's the extending of what you've been doing all week long. You just carried it right into the auditorium. And Terry doesn't have to, to manufacture it. He just directs what's already there. And you don't care about what kind of music it is. You don't care. As long as the word is being sung, as long as Jesus is being sung about, if it's a hymn, so be it. If it's a chorus, so be it. If you don't have any music, so be it. I was worshiping before I came in here, and nobody can take it away from me because that's my saying yes to Jesus in my daily life. That's what worship is. We've got the craziest idea of what it is. I hear it in conferences. I hear it in sermons. And I just, between Diana, the Holy Spirit, and I've had the chance to work with Becky, Dean's, Dean's wife, I'm trapped. <laughs> I can't even, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm being prayed for. Okay. Your spiritual service of worship. Don't ever tell me you've worshiped in a service if I couldn't go home with you and see it in your marriage. If it doesn't work at home, it didn't work at church. It's all about Jesus, and you're saying yes to him. That's what worship is all about. There are words that, that talk about what happens when you express it in, in a song or whatever. That's not, I'm not saying throw that away. I'm just saying that doesn't make any difference if you don't have the lifestyle to back it up. Okay, so first of all, there's a presentation. I love uh, people that have studied Romans and got into chapter 9 and God said I hated Esau but I loved Jacob and they really struggled with that and they went up to, to uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon you know one of the greatest preachers of his day and this lady walked up to him one day and said I don't like that verse <laughs> I don't see how a loving God could ever hate Esau he said that's never bothered me 
And she said, well, what bothers you? He said, I can't, can't figure out for the life of me how I could ever love Jacob. You see, we don't understand the love of God in our life. None of us deserve it. So when he asked, tells me, doesn't ask me, he tells me, present my body, a living sacrifice. Paul's urging them, but that infinitive carries the weight of an imperative, a command. He's saying, it's with gratitude. It's not just presenting, it's with gratitude. Understand whose you are. Understand what it costs God to get you there. Well, I want the right kind of marriage. We'll get to that. Let's get to him first. Because he's the only one who can make that right kind of marriage. But he's got to start with you. Not your husband. And not your wife. One lady wrote a book on Lord Change Me. She said, for years, I tried to get my, my prayers were to change my husband. And said she finally came to the conclusion after many, many years, God, you're just not going to do it. So I guess if you're not going to change him, then use him to change me. And she began to change and her husband changed overnight. She had to focus in the wrong place. Roy Hessian used to say, take the low road, Wayne, no matter. I said, take the low road? That's not fair. They did it to me. What do you mean take the low road? They're, they're guilty. And he said, yeah, but look how you're reacting. You've already stooped to their level, so what are you doing to point a finger at them? Always be the wrong one. Never be the right one. And you're on the right track. And then God can begin to do a work in your life. And what happens is you start seeing the whole thing differently because you start seeing it through his eyes. Well, secondly, is a renovation. <laughs> the first one's a, a presentation, but now a renovation. Because you can almost anticipate the Apostle Paul seeing that this is going to happen. Everybody says, okay, I'm presented. All right, and I'm so grateful. But now what? And you can almost anticipate somebody saying that. And Paul answers it before the question comes out. And do not be conformed to this world. Don't be pressed into its mold. The, the word for world there means the system of this world, which John tells us is of the devil to begin with. He's already infected it. It's a virus going on in the system of the thinking of this world, humanism. Be careful where you get your guidance. You better make sure it comes from God or you've just conformed to the method methodology of the world. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be trapped. Don't be put into its mold by the way you think about anything and specifically marriage. Because it's God's idea. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now since the word transform means that's the result of being renewed in your mind. Let me go to the renewing of your mind. Why would you do this? So that you might prove. The word means to test it for yourself. In any area. Particularly marriage. What the will of God is. <laughs> that which is good. Well I didn't think it was good. And I was going. Acceptable. And what's the last word? Perfect. You want to test it for yourself? Listen to what he's saying. Present yourself. Start there. Now, there is no transformation until there's a renovation. The word renew means to renovate. Guys, don't ever, get, don't ever fall into that trap when your wife says, let's, re, let's renovate the kitchen. Let's remodel the kitchen. That's what the word means to remodel, renovate. Uh, don't do that. Don't fall into that trap. I did. Diana said, let's redo the kitchen when we lived in, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And <laughs> Son, she did a marvelous job with that. But then what does that do? It makes the rest of the house look lousy. We ended up having to do the whole cotton-picking house. I went off to Romania before it was finished, and I came back three weeks later. Back in those days, it was under communism, and you couldn't call or anything for three weeks, and you're just there and just trusting the Lord because you didn't have plan B. And I came home. I didn't know how much had been done and whether it was finished or not. And she got me to the house after picking me up at the airport, and she said, before you go in, 
Let me put this on you. She took a, a, a handkerchief and tied it around my eyes and tied it in the back so I couldn't see. Walked me into the kitchen. I'd already seen the kitchen. And then she walked me where I could see the rest of the house down the hallway and I could see the kitchen and she took it off and I just stood there with my mouth wide open. I'm thinking, I know this is the same house, but this is not the same house. She had ripped out everything that was old and put everything that's brand new back into it. That's the word renew. Rip out the way you used to think. Rip it out and let God's word renovate your thinking. He says we have the mind of Christ. Well, I don't think so. It's right here. And we have to learn it by getting into it. And that's what's going to be next week. You're going to see how they tie together so beautifully. You could put them second or third or whatever. It doesn't matter. They're, they're so intricately tied together. So only in the word of God can our mind be renewed. There's nothing else that can renew it. It's truth. And of course, it, how many of you went to the truth project that we had? Uh, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, I want to say something to the men, and they're going to, they're going to whip me after this thing's over with. Listen, I can hurt a couple of you, but I can't take all of you. But 80%, listen to this, guys, listen to this, guys, 80% books, literature, and including Bibles are bought by women and not by men. You say, what's the problem in our marriages? Well, I've heard guys tell me this before. I'm going to let my, my wife be the spiritual leader of the family. I'm bringing home the bread, Muddy. I've got to work for a living. Well, bless your heart. Bless your heart. You see, when we start renovating our minds, guys, we start seeing the whole thing differently, and that's where the real problem is. The family goes as the husband and the father goes. And as the family goes, so goes our country, so goes our churches. You know, one of the things that we were talking about with Jared, I love our youth guys. Oh, man. And Jared was talking to me one day, and he, he kind of is up on what's going on today. I, I'm still catching up. I mean, I'm still learning how to text. I mean, these guys do it in their sleep. I'm glad I didn't have it when I was in school. I'd still be there <laughs> or in prison. And uh, I told him, I said, you know, it would be great if the families could come together. He said, yeah, Wayne, that's a great idea. Except that we have 60 to 65% of our kids that doesn't have a father. Or it's a divided family in one way or another. You say, where's the problem? You know, I'm not going to point a finger at anybody, but I'll tell you this in Scripture, who, who does God say needs to lead the church? He doesn't say the women. I don't, I don't understand why, because they're a whole lot more gifted and smarter than we will ever be. But he put it on the men. <laughs> I know a friend of mine right now, you would know if I told you who it was. And she said, I, you know, she's, she can't understand that Scripture. She's married to a redneck. She's got all the gifts and the abilities, but that's not what God said. Whether you like it, whether you don't like it, God said it the way he said it. Somebody came to me one day and said, I can't, how come elders, women can't be elders? I said, I don't know. Ask God. But how are you going to be the husband of one wife? Oh. So here's the, here's the problem when you don't put truth in your minds. I'm going to tell you this in your families, and some of you are already probably experiencing this. If you're not in the word, you do not know good from evil. You only know right from wrong. And that's what was taught to you by your parents or somebody else. And what you teach your kids is right and wrong will change when they go off to school. Because it won't be right and wrong anymore. They have a different set of values. But what's good and evil, which you learn from God and his word, stays the same all the way through. And see, that's the problem today. We don't know what's good. We don't know what's evil. We know what society says is right and what's wrong. We've married ethics 
and morality. Morality is the mores of society. It's what people accept. Everybody's doing it, so it must be right. That's what happens when you marry ethics with morality. Ethics is what it should be. Morality is what people accept it, whatever it is, and everybody's doing it. And when you marry the two, you made the biggest mistake you've ever made. This says, this is what's good. This is what's evil. And that's ethics. Morality is what this, the world, secular world comes up with. Well, finally, okay, you've got a presentation. Lord, I can't. You never said I could. You can. You always said you would. You've got a renovation. What's next? You better get in the Word and let the Word get into you. It's not for information. It's for transformation. You see, the Word's got to get down inside you. There's a lot of people who know a whole lot more than I do, but I'll tell you, some of them are the most arrogant. What does Paul say about knowledge? In 1 Corinthians, he said, knowledge makes one arrogant. But love, which is the fruit of the Spirit from a yielded life, edifies and builds everybody up. So it's not about what you know. It's who you know and how well he knows you and his word knows you. You don't possess truth. Truth has to possess you. And when that starts happening, look out. The designer of your marriage starts working. And all of a sudden, you start seeing different changes. And I'll tell you what, your spouse will see it quicker than anybody else. Finally, a transformation. The word transformation, you already know it. It's metamorpho. What, are the, what is the word we get from metamorpho? Metamorphosis. And the word is, oh, oh, it's an, a double zero verb in the Greek. And, and that means, I love, I call them the uh-oh verbs. Don't tell anybody I said that. I said, mom. And it, when you see a double zero verb, it, here's the verb right here. But they add a zero to it. Why? It means it's not only transformational from the inside out, but it's where everybody can see it. You can't fake this. It's going to be seen. It's going to be on display for everybody to look at. And, of course, you know that illustration of metamorphosis, the caterpillar. That's an ugly-looking dude, isn't it? That thing secretes its own secretions and performs a cocoon and kind of disappears for a while. And when it comes out, <laughs> it just breaks out, and it's a, it can fly. It's a butterfly. It's exactly the word. It's from the inside out. Now, listen, religion, if you want to go that route and you think you can make your marriage what it ought to be, just remember, religion only changes your behavior. Yeah, you can stop doing stuff. You can say the right thing. It's not what we're talking about. Christianity changes you from the inside out. It's metamorpho. It's from what's on the inside begins to be displayed on the outside. And once you allow the word to begin to renovate your mind, you're ripping out the way you used to think, and you start thinking what God has said, and it becomes a part of your life, and it begins to affect your behavior. That is the transformational experience that you're going through. Now, I know I've told this illustration many times, but like I said, just smile and act like you've never heard it before. Dinah will begin our next uh, time and close it. She's going to have the final word on this because I'm not going to say something to you if she doesn't stand right. Because you know, if you know Dinah, she'll shoot straight with you. She's not going to cover me. She'll say, Wayne blew it. And let me tell you the way it really happened. That's usually the way she does. But a man, if he's not going to walk with God, will retreat to wherever he can find his own identity and what he does well. Uh, if, it's a work, if it's a guy at work, he'll, he'll retreat to his cave of work. Or he'll retreat to whatever it is he can find, something that can say, I, I can do this. Peter, when he got discouraged about Jesus, said, I'm what? I'm going to go back to fishing. That's what I use. I can do that. I had a business. I had many partners. And when he got there, he found what? Nothing. There's nothing there when you go back, by the way. But we'll always, if we're not going to run to Jesus, we'll run to where we can find our identity, whatever it is, we do well, whatever that is. And mine, when we first got married, 
was fishing. I can catch fish. You put me on a lake that actually has water and has bass in it. I can catch a bass. Man, we'd study that thing. The thermal climb from 18 or 68 to 72 degrees where the temperature is, that's what you want. That's where the, that's where the bass are going to bite. And if it's at 18 feet, you get a topographical map. You look at the whole lake map. They make the topographical maps. You find every place that you can find that's 18 feet deep and you mark it. And then for about three days, you go every day, all day long, and you check those places out. If it's in a cove, awesome. If it's a creek running through there, awesome. Because you want to find the oxygen factor in that thing. The thermocline, the pH factor, that's what that is. I think I confused it too. But you find the oxygen content. If you find growth, milfoil, anything like that growing, whoa, that's like a fountain, Melly. They're living in there because that's oxygen. That's what they're looking for. That's growth. You've got the right depth. You've got a creek coming through. The bass lay on the bend of every creek. You've got the right temperature. You've, oh, son, and you start marking those places. And then when you go back, you catch fish. If you'll ever watch a tournament fisherman, they go in three days before, and it's exactly what they do. That's all they do. They're checking out where the bass are in that lake because they're not everywhere. They're in 10% of the lake, and you've got to find where that 10% is. Well, I knew how to do that. knew how to do that. When I was in youth work, I was in youth work for about 17 years. I call that my 40 years with the sheep. Moses thinks he had a hard time. He was never a youth pastor for, for 17 years. And I'd plan my retreats around places that had great lakes. Now, God's forgiven me of all this, so just be careful. <laughs> I remember one year, I'm going to take them down to a place called Lumberton, Mississippi. King's Arrow Ranch is near there. It's a campus crusade ranch, but it's about 10 minutes from there. And it had a Lake Hillsdale Resort. I'll never forget it. And they had a lake. Man, people were telling me they catch 12, 14-pound bass in that lake. And I'm thinking, God is in this. <laughs> of course, it was fishermen that told me. It's probably three or four pounds, but, you know, they'll lie like a dog. So we go down. I have a speaker to cover my time. That's awesome. I get the fish and somebody else has to do the work. I get paid. And I had counselors take care of the kids. It was a perfect setup. I spanned them all out, got them in their groups, find their rooms. And a buddy of mine by the name of Robert Fortenberry, he's a missionary right now in Botswana with the IMB. He was, he was young then and I was there when he was saved. And so he and I would fish together. And I said, come on, Robert, let's go. So we'd take off to the lake that evening. Man, we got out on the water. We had several six-pound bass before supper, and we're thinking, oh, is God ever in this week? Next morning, we got up early because that's, that's a good time, August. We got up about an hour before daybreak and uh, went down to the lake, and we caught several nice fish. And all of a sudden, they just cut off. It's like you took a, a switch and flipped it. They just cut off. We said, now, what in the world's going on? If you're a bass fisherman, it's in August, and it's in the dog, what they call the dog days when you're fishing. You know what's going on. There was a full moon, and those fish weren't biting during the day. They were biting at night, and so the chills just go up your arm. You're thinking, oh, man, why did we miss this? We you know what a jitterbug is. It's a topwater plug. We got these musky jitterbugs. They're about that long. It had a little, uh, a little thing that hooked, it hooked the front to the back to it, and then they go through the water on top of the water, and they've got to get black a full moon night because as the fish are looking up, they're seeing the moon flecting down in that black. They go, what, what, what? goes across the lane, and a bass will come for four miles to hit that thing. It's awesome. And when it hits it, you don't know how big it is or anything. It just it hits that thing. It's, it's, oh, we, went, we got these big plugs. and So that night we had to go to bed with the kids because we're their leaders. Remember that picture of that duck? And he's saying, where are they? I must find them. I'm their leader. <laughs> it's kind of, 
We slept for about an hour, about 12 to 1. We got down to the lake to go fish. We could not wait. You know, we get down there, and the night watchman pulls up. He said, what are y'all doing? That's got to be the stupidest question I've ever heard. You know, bowling? What do you think we're doing? We're going fishing. He said, you can't fish. An hour, except an hour after sun, sundown and, and an hour before sunup, you, you can't fish during the rest of the time. I said, why? This is our property. That's our lake. That's our fish. If you drowned, we have no insurance that can cover. We got insurance. No, we're not going to risk a suit. So you cannot fish during the night. So we thought of several things, uh, putting him in a sack and tying him to a center block. <laughs> but being the spiritual people we were, we didn't go back to go to bed. We sat underneath a street light until we could see the lake pretty well. Because, you know, you stay in the darkness long enough, you'll call it light. And we went fishing. Well, remember, we had a youth camp, one hour sleep. All day long, frisbee, Bible studies, softball, swimming. And finally, it's time for the service that night. I am so tired, I can hardly hold my eyes open. I had to, you know, I just kept doing like this, just, oh, man, just praying that I could just fall asleep for a second. People think I was praying. But I kept falling off, and I kept, I kept falling off. And I watch this every Sunday morning, by the way, so I know it still goes on. <laughs> it's like I needed, I needed toothpicks to hold my eyes open. Well, I heard nothing that night. But God spoke through the speaker. And at the very end, he, he gave an invitation. We saw kids get saved. We'd been praying for for a long time. And this was real stuff. This wasn't some emotion giving yourself to a tree stump or something. I mean, they really were getting saved. And I'm thinking, good night. How could this happen without me? <laughs> and I got down on my knees by a table. And nobody was saying anything. People were just moving everywhere. God was moving. And I remember praying, God, oh, God, thank you. Be with these young people. <laughs> it was like God said back to me. I didn't hear an audible voice. I'm not a mystic. But it was like God said back to me, hey, Wayne, yeah, you, do you think you and I might have a few things we could talk about? I'd already been to a couple of conferences. Remember Bill Gothard and some of those? I've been to them. So I was already, I went from ignorance to arrogance in about three weeks. So I knew it all. And God said, I know you've been to all these conferences. I know you got all this knowledge. But Wayne, could we talk about it? A little? And, I, and I got down on my knees. I, I was on my knees and I said, Lord, I'm having trouble <laughs> This is how I know that God leads in prayer when it's true prayer. I said, I'm having trouble getting up in the morning and having my quiet time. <laughs> it was like, oh, really? Wow. When was the last time you went to bed at 12 and got up with one so excited to be in my presence you didn't even feel tired? And I don't, that's not a legalistic statement. That's just what God said to my heart. And I realized what he was saying to me. I go fishing in a, in a hot dog minute. But don't ask me as a man and as a husband and a father to spend time with my God. I've got other things on my agenda. And I said, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. And it was almost like God said, well, what are you going to do about it? Well, Lord, I could, I could give my things away. That's dumb. That's dumb. I, I, I quickly thought, oh, man, why did you say that? I could have said, I'll sell it, you know, <laughs> or I could give it to my. And he said, no, I, want you, I think that's a great idea, Wayne. Because there's a verse in the Psalms, isn't it? It says, I withhold nothing that is good to him who is righteous. Wait a minute, hold it. This is good. You're taking this away from me? And I, and I said, well, who would I give it to? It's just don't ever ask God if you don't want to know. It just as clear as a bell. Robert Fortenberry, my buddy that I fished with. See, I didn't know he was going to be a missionary one day, and I didn't know that he needed this lesson in his life before he let it become to him what it had become to me. And I said, oh, no way. This is emotional. Good grief. Christianity is not this radical. And I got up and I said, okay, all of you young people, God has moved. <laughs> I want you all to go, 
go outside and get under a tree and just be alone with God. They went outside. I stood there for a few minutes thinking if I had 15 minutes, I could buy some time. The emotion's gone. This is all this is. The back door opened and Robert Fortenberry walked in the room. He walked up to me and he said, Wayne, I got under a tree and asked God what he wanted me to say to me. And he told me to come in here. This is Claire's bell. But he said, I'm kind of awkward. I don't know what to say to you. Do you have something to say to me? <laughs> I don't know how God works in your life. And I'm not going to tell you that's the way he should work in your life. He colors pictures for me. He colors in all the little lines and says, now, do you get it, dummy? You got it? And I said, Robert, just shut up. And I gave him my Umco tackle box with seven shelves on both sides. Oh, fuck. My worm box. I had every worm known to man, the lengths, the depth, I mean, the weights, the colors. Artificial. <laughs> I gave that to him. Gave him my two loose speed sticks. I don't even make them anymore. Uh, but the same company doesn't. They've all sold out somebody else. I gave him my Ambassador 5500 C's, both of them. He looked at me like my elevator didn't quite catch the top floor. And I said, just don't bug me. And he said, what are you doing? I said, God told me to do it. Now just leave me alone. <laughs> I told you, I go kicking and screaming. I found out something. The first place that you're going to run into your persecution when you start trying to be a vessel that God can use is not going to be from the secular world. They've been waiting on this for a long time. It's going to be within your circle of friends that you thought loved Jesus who are not willing to live the conviction that you have just shared with them. They'll tear you apart if they're not willing to deal with their bass fishing, whatever it is. Got back to my room and my pastor, and I was associate pastor then in charge of youth, and some of the other staff were in his room. Come on over, Wayne. Heard you gave away your bass fishing. And the pastor, who had about 17 sets of clubs, he said, think I ought to give up my golf game? And I thought to myself, wouldn't hurt you, but I didn't say that. <laughs> I went home, and the strangest thing happened. About, I don't know how many weeks it was, days. Dinah called me one day, and, I, and she'll have to tell you next week. She'll, she'll correct wherever I miss it. This is what I remember. And she was crying, and Dinah doesn't cry. Uh, I'm the crier. I cry at commercials. Dinah, when she cries, it's serious stuff. And I went home thinking one of the kids was sick, and she said, Wayne, I've got to ask you to forgive me. I said, for what? The bitterness I've had in my heart. Because when you want to go fishing or hunting or whatever you want to do, you just do it. And I've had bitterness towards you for all this time. And she said, I can't get over the fact of what you've done. And I don't want to let this bitterness be in my heart any longer. And God gave me the best friend I have on earth at that time. I wasn't even thinking about my marriage. I wasn't reading a book on how to have a buried marriage. God said, I want you, son. I'll work in your marriage. But I've got to start working in you first. And that's what I'm trying to say. Everybody's going to every counselor. You named a man. And they sit there and share all their problems. And they gloat in being a victim. God never allows you to be a victim. Even though you're victimized. Because he's the victor in your life. And you can't start going back and feeding all those festering wounds. You've got to get out of that. And get into Christ. You're in a brand of a new seed. And start letting him be who he wants to be in you. Instead of going back and rehearsing and digging up bones. Remember that old country song? Digging up bones. Huh? That's what most marriages, most of it, when they go get help, that's all it is. Just digging up bones. But they never move anywhere for it. And that's the bottom line. Forgetting those things which are behind me, Paul said. I press on. There's one thing I do. I press on. I mean, I... I, I put these things behind me and I press on. Two things, but he calls them one. 
And so that began to radic. You think that didn't affect our marriage? <laughs> All of a sudden, it was awesome. Now, listen, I, do I have bass fishing stuff today? Yeah, I can't use it. It's kind of funny. Guy's got an odd sense of humor. But several years later, Stephen got to about five years old. And he said, Daddy, I want to go fishing. I said, I'm an addict. Don't get near me. <laughs> if I touch a handle of a rod, I'm dead. He said, Daddy, I don't know what I want to go. And I said, oh, gosh. So I said, let's pray. So me and the little Stephen, he'd get down on his knees. And by the way, I'm so proud of that boy. We'd get down on his knees. And he'd, he'd pray with me. And uh, lo and behold, one day a guy called me. and said, I've heard your testimony on tape. And he said, Wayne, I want you to come over to my house. And so he told me the direction. I said, Stephen, you want to go with me? I didn't know what he was going to do. Got over there, walked in. He took me through the house and walked me into his garage. It looked like the sportsman's warehouse. Man, I think, oh, man. He had rods all the way around. And not the cheapos that I'd given. Those loose speed sticks that had those slip, the eyes were factory made. This one, buddy, was uh, hand-tied. And he gave me a sack of lures better than anything I gave away. And I'm thinking to myself, God withholds nothing that is good to them that are righteous. But unless it's in its proper perspective, he'll take it away as fast as you make your head swim. He takes you from an imbalance over here to an, to an imbalance over here to bring you back into a balance. Fishing, nothing wrong with fishing. But it was in my life. Because that's where I found my identity. And God said, until you start learning to find it in me, you haven't got a clue what your marriage is supposed to be. See, that's the whole point. Man, I, I love going when I go now. Man, I, I talk about it a whole lot. I talk a whole lot about fishing and hunting that I don't do. I just like to talk about it because I still love it. But God said, okay, it's in its proper place. And it became the way that Stephen and I built a relationship. As much as I've traveled, I've forgotten how many times I've been around the world and all overseas and good grief. I, I, I tried to count them up the other day and just quit. Dinah asked Stephen and she asked Stephanie. She may tell you this. I'm not, I don't know what she's going to say. I don't tell her. <laughs> but she said she asked him at individual times, did your daddy traveling as much as he did around the world and speaking ever become a bitterness to you? And both of them at different times said, we don't remember daddy being gone. Well, I be. I want to tell you something, by the way, if you're a parent, don't you dare try to balance your life like somebody else has balanced theirs. Because it won't look the same. You let God be your balance. And whatever he says it is, it is. And don't let anybody tell you different. Because he'll work out the slack. He'll take care of the other side of that. One more story. Golly. Tonight you won't have much time to fellowship waiting on your kids. <laughs> Years later, I was at a conference in Louisville, Kentucky. Manly Beasley, Ron Dunn, Harold Ochester, all those old boys. And I don't know whether it was Ron Dunn or Manly Beasley. Both all of them are dead now. I don't know about Harold, but Manly and Ron are. Boy, God hit me in this passage right here, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And God said to me, just as clear as a bell, Wayne, go home, get rid of your television set. And I'm thinking, that's got to be the devil. God wouldn't care about my television set. What am I watching wrong? I was watching ball games 2 o'clock in the morning. Teams I didn't even care about. It could care. I just, you know, just a ball game. But I went home and I'm thinking, I got to think this thing through. <laughs> are, are some of y'all as hard-headed as I am in here? And so I got the kids one night, Little House on the Prairie. We had a color TV, but the color TV back then wasn't anything. In Little House on the Prairie. And I had Stephen and Stephanie there. We had a 900-square-foot house. I loved it. I could reach the kids from any point. And I'd stay there little. Had brand-new carpet. They had a fire. And if we had a fire in the fireplace, had 18 inches of snow outside. And it was just wonderful up in Kentucky and and I said, kid, hey, come here. Stephen, Stephanie, Dinah was in the kitchen. I said, come here. I said, y'all want to watch Little House on the Prairie? 
Or do you want to turn it off and talk about Jesus and play games? <laughs> Stephen, I just, you just have to know Stephen's heart. He's, he's a precious boy. He walked over, popped that thing off. He said, we'd rather pray and talk about Jesus and play games. We got some of those games like Hungry, Hungry Hippo. You ever played that? And and played that chicken lay an egg. You put the thing and you have to, the chicken lays an egg if you get a point, if it, all this stuff. And one night, Diana, who doesn't, he, she's real serious. I'm, you're talking about opposites attracting. I mean, but one night, she just laid back in the floor and had tears coming out of her eyes. She said, this is the most fun I have ever had. And I heard God say again, I withhold nothing that is good to them that are righteous. Hinging on the unreasonable in your mind right now lies the unexpected blessings God has for you. He designed your marriage. Your wife or your husband is not the problem. We're the problem. Look in the mirror in the morning and say, good morning, problem. I've got to learn to die. The same way I entered in is the same way I live. There's a presentation. There's a renovation. I've got to learn what God says so I can hear his voice. You know, somebody said, Wayne, uh, how do you know when God's speaking to you? I said, well, you spend so much time with him in his word. You can't miss it when he speaks to you, when you're not in it. If my mama could call right now, you'd love my mother. You would love my mother. When you get to heaven, you'll spot her right off. She's laughing. And her mother laughed. I mean, it's, it's, it's hilarious around our house. My daddy was serious, <laughs> but nobody else was except my sister. But my mother, it was, she was, if she could call right now, and she called me wee-wee when I was growing up. <laughs> but Wayne Allen, when she was mad. But if she said Wayne Allen, and if she could call me right now, and there's a red phone in here, hotline, and it would ring, and I'd pick it up, and I'd say, hello? She'd say, Wayne Allen? I'd say, Mom. And she'd say, how do you know my voice, Wayne? I died in 1981. How would you recognize my voice? I'd say, Mama, I spent so much time with you when you were down here. I'd recognize your voice anywhere. If you want to know when God's speaking to you, you better get in here and renovate your mind. And what happens is you start thinking differently, and from the inside out, you start living differently. Metamorpho. What's on the inside, who's on the inside, begins to manifest himself on the outside. I think the problem of marriages is right here where we're talking. If it's Christians' marriages. So when you go home at night, uh, it'd probably be real good not to talk over everything we've said. Because <laughs> I could hear some wives say, boy, have I got a list of what you need to give up. No, no, no. You go home and say, it's not my husband, it's not my whatever. It's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I need to be the vessel you want me to be so that you can begin to make my marriage what you designed it to be. So the key of dying what is it? What's your bass fishing like? What's your TV? We, do we have a TV? I got three of them. But that doesn't mean anything. I mean, I, I've got the Sportsman's Channel. <laughs> but I, listen, it's not about TV. It's not about fishing. It's about whatever it is that pulls you away from your intimacy with him. That's the key. About three years later, a guy gave us a television set. We put it in the closet for about three weeks. I, I, think three, I say three years. Dino probably walk in here and say, oh, it wasn't. I was 12 months. Well, whatever it was. Somebody gave us a TV. By the way, I love her. Because you, you want the straight answer, you ask Diana. <laughs> I have that tendency to put the humor in it, and sometimes it messes it up.
but they gave it to us about three weeks we didn't we just put it in the closet and one day we finally pulled it out and started realizing it's not the tv it's where it t takes its role in your life if you don't have time to get in here then something's matter with you with your time you know as far as i know every one of us were given exactly the same amount of hours every day isn't that amazing but what you do with it that's your choice you give him time he'll give it right back to you Whatever it is that you give to him, he will return it right back to you. And you can't outgive him. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.